Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Today, we cannot avoid talking about the fact that domestic violence is still a huge problem. And many of us today, of course, will be thinking of Nadine Lott and Mary McDermott, who's the CEO of Safe Ireland, said that Miss Lott ended her unhealthy relationship, but was pursued and killed uh, by Daniel Murtha. She was 30 years of age, a young lady, a young woman, a young daughter who lost her life uh, in a very unhealthy relationship. And we are absolutely well aware of what is happening around the country with domestic violence, particularly during the pandemic, by the way. They do believe there's been a massive increase in domestic violence against both men and women, by the way. I want to point that out. Let's be clear about that. A lot of people this morning, I've been listening to a lot of radio stations this morning, and they've been talking about domestic violence and very much focus, I suppose, on women. Um, For one minute, I am not ignoring the fact that women are the victims of domestic violence, but also men as well. And there has been a huge surge, uh, you know, of men in their 60s and 70s seeking aid from domestic abuse support services over the course of the pandemic. Uh, Katrina Bentley, CEO of Men's Aid, said that in 2020, her organisation received roughly 5,500 contacts to their service, with a spike in men reaching out, occurring in May and June at the start of the pandemic. And uh, Katrina Bentley joins me on the air to talk about it. Katrina, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Um, well, f- first of all, we, we can't obviously not uh, address the situation of Nadine Lott. What a shocking, yeah. shocking story. And, and they use the words yeah. unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's what domestic mm-hmm. violence is, isn't it? It's living Absolutely. in a very unhealthy environment. But but men, you know, we don't think, well, we do think about, we should think more about men as well, because men are also in these relationships and in a very unhealthy relationship, be it coercive control or abusive situations. And is that what you're coming across? That is indeed, Niall. Um, I suppose, firstly, we just like to, I suppose, pass our condolences to the family of Nadine Lott ourselves today. I think it's a very dark uh, couple of days for, for Ireland. Um, and uh, just to acknowledge um, and, and um, just mm. to, obviously, it's not a, dare I say, it's certainly not a, a competition of genders whatsoever. Absolutely because not. Unfortunately, um, it is actually just the reality behind too many front doors in Ireland. So, yeah. um, roughly one in four women and one in seven men across Ireland would experience domestic violence of some sort or coercive control during their lifetime. So that's roughly, the, you know, the top line figures. Um, we're expecting to, to support about 8,000 men this year, just giving, looking at, I hate to say the word, the trends, but in terms of January to June of this year, um, we're supporting 600 to 700 men a month at the moment. So, um, and the, whilst COVID, you know, um, landed last year, I suppose it, it, it's not the reason for the domestic violence because the unhealthy relationship already existed behind the front door. Um, and whether you use the language like a toxic relationship, unhealthy, abusive, um, men and women, I suppose they identify the relationship differently and, and they use different language. And um, the men coming forward to us, <coughs> excuse me, they don't use the word domestic violence. Um, they don't use the word <coughs> abuse. Um, they use different language like um, she's, it's, um, mm. she, she, she's maybe she, she experienced uh, abuse during childhood. Maybe, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they, make, they use different language in terms of you know, she's going through a bad patch at the moment. It's only six, six stitches on my forehead. You know what I mean? There's just different language used. Do, do men, but I mean, it's unhealthy. I, I mean, do you find, I mean, certainly over the last 10 years, we're seeing more men coming forward. I'm not suggesting it's probably got any worse. I think men mm-hmm. are just maybe more 
are finding it easier to come forward as well. Has there is there still that kind of macho thing out there where guys are saying, ah, oh, you know, I'm not going down to the guards to say that my wife is giving me a hiding or my wife yeah. is doing this to me. Is is that still there? Because women, of course, absolutely. will report that quicker, and women tend to have a better circle of friends to talk to about those things yeah, as well. Absolutely, I think the barriers still for the men remain. I we we would think we're kind of ten or twenty years behind the women's services in terms of encouraging and giving the male victim the, the confidence to come forward. So the barriers, I like the, the stigma and the shame that you talk about. I'm six foot four. She's five foot. They're never going to believe me. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but definitely, I think because there's a different generation coming forward now and they're standing up and they're saying, no, I didn't consent to that. No, you shouldn't treat me like that. So I suppose the younger generations are probably educating and informing the older generations. Um, and I suppose the more and more conversations like this that we're having across radio, newspapers, TV, the more men will come forward then to, when they recognize it or they hear it and, and the penny drops. And they'll thankfully then you know, pick up the phone, either mm. talk to us or maybe talk to their GP or talk to one of their friends in the golf club or whatever, whatever. Um, and actually just start having that conversation because really until we actually start putting the language on it, you know what I mean, and talking about it, we're never really going to understand the true prevalence of it. I mean, I did, I did talk to one guy recently who was in a very difficult situation. It was a friend of mine. And, you know, on a particular occasion, his wife became quite aggressive and he went down to the guards and explained his situation as person's circumstances to the guards and told them that, you know, they were currently going through a separation and divorce, whatever it happened to be. And mm-hmm. I don't want to go too much into his personal circumstances, but mm-hmm. the guards answer to him was, have you thought about moving out of the house? And and yes. that to me is not, yes. you know, yeah. I, I don't know how we're training guards to deal with the situation because, mm. I, and maybe I'm wrong in thinking this, but if a woman had gone down to the guards and said that, maybe it would have been dealt with differently. But to suggest to somebody, if you're in a bad situation at home with your missus, maybe you should move out and let her get on with it. And, and, I, and I don't think that was probably the right answer. So are we t- teaching and yeah. training Garda Shikana, who are usually the first protocol, are, are we t- teaching them and training them how to deal with these situations? There are, there is actually, there is more training um, happening within within on guard the Shiakona, um, and I suppose we have heard that a lot now as well, reported to us or disclosed to us on our on our helpline. But they are definitely, um, I suppose, revisiting their training and and trying to um, focus on all genders who are experiencing coercive control, so that they understand the dynamics of domestic violence and coercive control, especially coercive control because it's so invisible and it's so silent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think if, if your friend went back to a garden station more recently now that there would be a different response. Um, and, and if not, to certainly call our helpline because we will certainly be able to, 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 to give some information there in terms of, you know, um, pathways and options. And so what, what are the, the pathways? The, 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 let's, let's look yeah, at the pathways and options. The, 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 so, yeah. the, 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 oh, reality for the, for the reality for the man in Ireland in, in today's world in 2021, there is no safe bed. There is no refuge for the male victim in Ireland, whether um, whether uh, fleeing a, a female partner or a male partner. So um, that mm. is that that is the crux. Um, and we've been lobbying and advocating um, and we are we, we're being called before the Iraq Committee in a couple of weeks time in relation to um, a refuge for men for, to flee. So, um, so in other words, the point is, the point is, continue. You believe that we we're not really taking it serious as seriously as it should, we should be. And I do remember going back in the doll some time ago. Actually, when, uh, how far long ago was it? Was Jerry Adams in the doll? It was about seven or eight years ago. And they were Jerry Adams actually asked what the figures were for male domestic violence in Ireland. And the answer he got from Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, I think it was at the time, that we we didn't know the figures because we'd never truly examined them. Now I know what the figures in the UK at the time were something out of five out of every or four out of every nine cases were male. So maybe the figures for men are probably a little bit higher 
higher, but maybe not enough men are coming forward or we're not recognizing those signs. Yeah. So if, if a man is listening today and he's in a relationship that he believes is abusive, coercive or physically abusive, I yeah. mean, what steps should he take or what should he do? Mm. Uh, first and foremost, he should speak to somebody that he can trust and confide in, um, whether sometimes it can be a parent or a sister or a brother, a member of the family or a friend. Um, secondly, would be to perhaps talk to their GP just to disclose that. If they are at harm, if they are experiencing coercive control, domestic violence, physical assault, etc., um, to definitely to either link in with ourselves if, 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 if that's their first point or to go to their guard station to report it because at the end of the day domestic violence is a crime in Ireland so um, and in, in, in particular like we're hearing these cases of men sitting in front of us day in day out um, you know disclosing physical violence assault rape um, coercive control um, not having access to children etc um, and we're walking them through the journey um, with the Gardaí at the moment um, as, as much as we can you mentioned there about what does Ireland have for the male victim um, of the 30 million that is in the pot government pot for domestic violence we receive less than 1% for men for men for our service so 90, 99% of the budget, so to speak, for domestic violence is spent uh, on female domestic violence. In terms of our, in terms of our funding, we receive less than 300,000 oh That's That's quite, that's quite a disturbing statement to me. So there, there I say that is, is, is part of the problem. It's just the, the state and society, I suppose, we're, 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 we're turning a new corner in, in today's world going forward. Um, and I suppose that the message is that we, we must start acknowledging and recognising all the genders that are they are experiencing domestic violence. It, it, it's it's shocking how unhealthy the relationships are, but also the fact that it's a family trauma. It doesn't just impact the, the victim who sits in front of us. It's impacting the grandparents. It's impacting brothers and sisters. It's impacting the children, um, and often they get the, the child's voice gets lost in all of this. So, I, want, I want to come back to that figure again that you gave. So to, just to clarify, yeah. so the budget for domestic violence in this country is exactly much, 30 million is what you're saying? It's, it's, yeah, the Department of Children um, okay. and, and it, it comes through Tusla. So uh, okay. Department of Children, yeah. Okay, so that budget is for funding for organisations like yourselves. For domestic, sexual uh, and gender-based violence. Yeah, yeah, so all sorts of uh, different organisations that are out there, you know, Safe colleagues. Ireland, yeah. all those other ones. Yeah, they, our colleagues, all our NGO colleagues. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, yeah. I'm not having a go at any of them. They're all doing a wonderful job. Oh, most, no. most of them do a great we, job. And we, could, we couldn't do what we do without our colleagues. Absolutely. In, in so, services. so, so, yeah, absolutely. so to clarify, 1% of that budget goes towards male domestic violence. We, well, we receive less, we receive less than 300,000 to run our service. My gosh. Yeah. When you hear it like that, you're kind of saying, yeah. I mean, even yeah. as we understand, obviously the figures for male domestic violence are lower than the figures for female domestic violence. And, and by the way, I, believe there could be somewhere closer to each other because it's just a lot of it goes unreported. You're it, correct because the UK, uh, the recent UK research is uh, one in three victims in the UK is male. I heard this, I heard research of four in nine, which is probably somewhere, somewhere similar anyway. One, one in four women, one in yeah. seven, one yeah. in seven men, yeah. roughly. Again, we haven't done research since 2005. To, to, to that's even to, shocking in itself that we're not funding the, the, funding the research to find right. out exactly, you know, I mean, to do, I mean, we should be questioning men and women, by the way, and, and doing a little bit of research, taking sample mm-hmm. sizes and say, you know, have you ever experienced domestic violence or coercive control in your life mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be? But we're not actually even doing that either. Uh, I think people are, I think people are shocked by when the, we're asked who is who is our client and our clients um, are, are vulnerable men from the ages of 18 to 88 
We have a, a man in his 60s who, as I mentioned in the article, is, is living in a tent. We have a man in his early 70s with the help of his, his children and his solicitor and his GP is going to leave the marriage after 45 years of abuse. We have a number of men um, in the LGBT community with husbands and male partners um, experiencing physical assault, coercive control and, and violence as well. So it, I think people, who are these people, these victims? They are our neighbours. They are GPs, they are civil servants, they're teachers, they're farmers. They work in the bank, they, they work in IT. They're members of the travelling community, LGBT, ethnic minority groups. In the first three months of this year, we supported 25 nationalities in men's aid. So who who is the man in our service? He, he's probably living two or three doors from you. So in relation to what we can do, I mean, do you believe the family law system in itself, and I know that can be a very difficult system to navigate, trust me, I've been through it, but do you believe that family law system is not healthy for men either? Because there's yeah. been a lot of people have suggested we need to revisit family law and look at it and basically yeah. turn it upside down and fix it. Because yeah. we see a lot of situations where men get put out of the family home, no matter what has happened in the relationship, uh, yeah. men get out, put out, even if they happen to be the victim, they get yeah. put out of the family home and end up in a situation where they're paying bills, paying mortgages for a house they're not actually living in anymore. Correct. And that in itself can be quite quite controlling, especially if they're looking for access to the children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Is family law got anything, or does it have any bearing on what's happening here? Well, I suppose um, under Helen Mac- Minister Helen McEntee's um, team, there is a there is a project um, on, to look at the whole law, family law reform, um, and we're we're part of all those various committees now that are submitting on behalf of the voice of the male victim. So between now and Christmas, there's a, there is a lot of work um, going on in the background with the Department of Justice. And um, there's also the third national strategy that um, is being looked at as well. And we'll have a new five-year strategy from, from January of next year for the five years going forward. And the male, the vulnerable male victim, we are, the, I suppose, the one, the voice for the men of Ireland. Um, and we are submitting um, our papers and, and sharing data just so that, they, they, that those decision makers can make an informed, you know, decision, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to funding, but also even just in, in national campaigns that, that the department, whether it's Department of Justice or Department of Children, when they're putting out that they represent uh, the real dad, you know, you know. Uh, that, that we, I mean, I, 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 and I don't want the to... real dad. If I could say the real dad, the dad, but who is ringing uh, us? Yeah, who's on, trying his on best? The helpline, yeah, and the fact that with COVID, you know, to date, what does the what does the man do when he leaves the home? He goes to mum and dad's and he's on the, either back in the stair room or he's on the sofa in his mum and dad's or he goes to a mate's house. And that's why during COVID, when they couldn't, because obviously our parents were cocooning, you know, staying home and isolating, etc. There was more men sleeping in tents and sleeping in their cars and sleeping in their vans and calling us from the cars and putting their sleeping tent, a sleeping bag on the back seat of their cars because they have nowhere to go in Ireland. So that we have an increase in that most every week. And also that what that leads to then is the mental health. And I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to say this, but, you know, the suicide ideation jumps as well mm-hmm. um, because they feel that they're trapped. There's nowhere to go. And and and, and this week, I suppose, what we were mentioning is the older man who's in his 60s and 70s and he's, you know, invested his money back into the farm, maybe the children's education, the children's weddings, etc. And the kids are gone. And now he's looking at himself and he's saying, right, well, what do I do now? I'm in my 60s or 70s. This relationship is, is not healthy. It's unhealthy. It's toxic. She's coercively controlling. What are my options? Well, there is. There, there are no options because there is nowhere for that man to flee at this time, at today. 
because he wouldn't have savings perhaps for a second house. Not every person has, you know, a pot of air. Of, of course, most people don't house. have a pot of money Correct. under the stairs. And, and the other yeah, thing as well is sure. you've got men who might have young children, you know, in yes. their 30s or 40s or whatever it yes. is, and have young children. And, yes. and similar to when women are in that situation, even yes. though they might be the, the, the main earner in the home, um, yeah. they're afraid to leave because, and they might be in a, a toxic or unhealthy or what the, uh, abusive relationship, but they're afraid to leave because similar to many other stories they've probably heard, they know they'll be the one who'll end up out of the family home and, right. and they want somewhere to live and they, and they don't want to lose the access to their children and right. they're afraid to get out of the relationship because they see yeah. this four years of a traumatic experience of going through a separation or divorce and then yeah, ending up in a situation where they're out of the family home. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's such a broad and complex area. Um, and um, often, but what, you know, the spotlight is often on the victim when actually the spotlight should be on the perpetrator and holding the perpetrator accountable and responsible um, and enforcing the various legal orders. We would find that a lot of, if there's a lot of um, protection or safety orders and, and access and custody orders, that if a female breaches them, but there's, 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 there's no, no consequence. consequences. No. There's no consequences. But well, isn't that the, the Irish system, of course, of separation and divorce is what they call a no-blame system, uh, mm-hmm. which I personally believe should change. Um, mm-hmm. And there should be some proportion of blame to the person who doesn't want to be in the relationship anymore or the person who's responsible for the breakdown of the relationship. And, mm-hmm. and But that's not taken into consideration in this country. And unfortunately, uh, that's a situation. A lot of men find themselves in a relationship where they don't want to leave the relationship because they know that it's just going to be hell on earth, it's particularly when they have young children, getting access to those children and then mm-hmm. finding somewhere to live afterwards. And that can be a Choice. And the person damaged there the most and gets lost is the child and loses access sometimes to the mum or the dad. The child actually is being abused through, through by, by not having you know a relationship a healthy, mm-hmm. with, with their parents, and no child deserves that. I often say to people, regardless of, of gender, there's no winners in domestic violence because if, if a child is experiencing that in childhood, you know we're hearing now of men in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s coming forward, and they a lot of people will will disclose that they had an abusive family, mother, father in the past, or a teacher, or, you know, they've experienced what we call an adverse childhood experience. And it, and it, and, and, and it stays with you through into your adulthood. So it's a lot healthier and a lot more proactive if we can mind and safeguard our children, you know what I mean, when they're young, rather than try and, dare I say, fix them when they're older, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So our, our message often to, the par- to parents is, can you please leave your children out of this and, and behave like adults and, and converse and try and be fair to each other and just keep the child as your, you know, as your first thought and your priority. How is this going to impact the kids in five years, 10 years and 20 years? Because everything mum and dad do or talk or how they talk about each other, the kids are hearing it. So the kids, the kids are, are, are experiencing it. So, and, and a lot of the time, by the way, men, both men and women, but obviously we're focusing very much on men because obviously you're mm-hmm. for men's aid, uh, mm-hmm. don't recognise that they're in a coherent, no. controlled relationship no. because no, they, they become so used to it. Mm, absolutely. And also, I suppose we hear a lot of, um, well, we're, we're together since we were 17, 18 or 19. We're young, you know, um, she, you know, she had an abusive childhood. We hear that a lot. Uh, where would I go? What would I do? Um, a lot of men are in denial. They don't use the word domestic violence. Uh, the, the men don't say that they're being controlled necessarily. What they tell us how they don't have access to their their wallet. They tell us how she what tracks their petrol. They tell us that they can't go to the pub to meet the lads to watch football. That's what they tell us. Or they have to example. ask for money or something like that. Or yeah, yeah, but but they don't say they're being coercively controlled. I'm not allowed to go to the football. I'm not allowed to go out with the lads to watch the football. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, so many men are controlled or, you know, financially as well. 
economic abuse is huge amongst the men, especially if they've been there. I say the, the the breadwinner, you know. But yes, the 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 female in in the, in the relationship is controlling the finances. But when we hear that they don't have access to, to go to football or meet up their friends or play golf or blah blah, yeah. blah that is somebody coercively controlling that man. But the man doesn't use that language. He's saying, "Oh, I can't go out with the lads. I don't. I won't tell them that. I'm going to tell them we're going to something else." Or you know, we, yeah. we had a dad, you know, who um, at Christmas Day a few years ago, she walked out with the kids and went to her, her parents for dinner and left the dad at home alone all day Christmas Day. Oh, my. With no, not not to celebrate Christmas Day with his children, young kids. Like, you know what I mean? That is abuse. You know what I mean? And we, but, we hear so many stories, by the way, of men, you know, who take their own lives, sadly, um, because yeah. just because they can't get access to their children, which is a huge problem within family law. We, we've had that recently. Yeah. One of our one of our clients attempted to take his life in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And that and that is a form of coercive control as well, you know, because we do know, and I'm not saying all women do this, by the way, but we do know of women <laughs> who have used children as some sort of tool, I suppose, a bartering tool, you know, mm-hmm. to get more maintenance or to get this or to get that and or whatever it is. But the children should never be used because it's the children's right to see both parents. Absolutely, absolutely. You mm. know what I mean? And that is so hurtful um, for the dads, you know what I mean? So, again, just to, just to, to reiterate, to, to keep the kids as the focus um, and, and, and what's their, their welfare and what's best for them. You absolutely. know what I mean? But, but I think what's great is that, if I could say what's positive out of the COVID is that I suppose that this topic and this issue that is probably, I would think, behind every third or fourth door in Ireland in some shape or form, because that's how pandemic, that is how prevalent it is. Ballpark, we know it from, from our helpline. We know it from the nurses who are ringing us, the social workers who are ringing us, the guardy who are ringing us, the mums and sisters who are brilliant at helping their dad or helping their sister, or helping their brother. And we know it from the volume. We know it from the pain and the hurt. Um, we know it from families who are abroad and um, couldn't get home during COVID. We've been checking in and having welfare checks done on members of the community all over Ireland because daughters couldn't get home to see dad and dad is ringing and they got caught due to COVID. We know of parents who are ringing up and their sons are here in Ireland and, and they have male, male partners and mm-hmm. their parents are away um, and they're ringing saying, you need to leave, you need to leave. It's not that simple. You can't just leave because the abuse does continue. As in the case, sadly, of Nadine Lott, the abuse doesn't stop just the day that you walk out, you pack your bag and you go. I mean, she was a brave woman and she did that. She got out of that relationship, but but he still pursued her. Your safety plan is so important. Um, And again, we we work with our clients in terms of safety planning um, and safeguarding, etc. And and so it's not that simple. So um, it's Mm. kind of easy to say, just walk out. You know what I mean? It, it, unfortunately, it, it's not that simple. So, no, okay. um, I suppose. The, but the positive is we are talking about it. So even having this conversation today, now is brilliant. Thanks for having us on because we're breaking. No, down I think it's really important. Stigma. I think it's important today for both day. men and women. I you think know? it's important for all of us to understand that if you are in a relationship that has become unhealthy or toxic, or yeah. whatever wording you want to use for it, yeah. and you believe yeah. that you're being coercively controlled or physically abused, do something about it. You don't. Yeah. Ha- you don't have well, to live your life like that. You don't. Absolutely, absolutely. And the team, Women's Aid, Safe Ireland, Dublin Rape Crisis, ourselves, and Men's Aid, Men's Development Network, and Waterford. Like, there's so many NGOs working together. We're all striving towards the day where all our communities are safe. So please, please make the first step and and, and call one of okay. the many, many helplines. 
Okay, and again, the most shocking thing to come out of this interview today, I have to be honest with you, and Ashling, even her eyes opened wide outside my producer when you mentioned that there's 1% of the 30 million budget for domestic violence goes towards male domestic violence. That's a shocking figure. That will, I will take with me for the rest of the day. Katrina mm-hmm. Bentley, CEO of Men's Aid. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Lovely. And if anybody wants to contact Men's Aid, uh, the number, the National Confidential Helpline number is 015543811. I give you that again. That's 015543 Four three eight one one. So if you're a man, you're in a relationship at the moment and you believe that you're being coerced and controlled, you're being abused and you want help, you just need advice. What You want to know what the first step you should take or should you take any steps or can you do anything about it and you want good advice, again, that number is 015-53811. Also, by the way, Women's Aid National Free Phone Number, if you're a woman in that same situation, is 1-800-341-900. That's one 800 341 900. After the break, by the way, I'll take, get, have a little chat with Maliki Steenson, a resident family law solicitor, in relation to domestic violence against men as well. He has a lot to say about it. Okay, a lot of people texting in want that number from Men's Aid again. If you're a man and you're in a relationship and it's not working out and it's unhealthy and it's toxic and it's abusive or you feel that you're in an abusive relationship, I did give out the, the number as well for Women's Aid earlier on too, but obviously we're focusing on this as well. I will give out that number too again. Uh, the number for Men's Aid and somebody to talk to. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go to the guards. You don't have to go to your solicitor. You don't have to do anything. Your other half doesn't have to know about it. You can give them a quick ring. They will give you advice. That's what they're paid to do. They're there just to give you advice and to listen. And all you've got to do is give them a call. The number is 015543811. That's 015543811. All right? Write it down. And in case, of course, you're a female in the same situation, it's 1-800-341-900. That is Women's Aid, the National Free Phone Helpline number, 1-800-341-900. But if you're a man, please don't feel, just because you're a man, that you shouldn't be, I suppose, brave enough to come forward if something has gone wrong in your life. And you've listened to what Katrina was saying. There's those little things that you might not think that you're in that kind of relationship because you've become so used to being controlled. You know, maybe all your money, your wife looks after the money, which is not unusual, by the way, if your other half looks after the money. Sometimes in a relationship, one person is better at looking after the money, you know, is a better manager of money. But, you know, you find yourself in a situation, can I have 20 20 euro for diesel? Do, Do you mind? Well, you have to go cap in hand looking for money, even though you're earning it. That's not a good relationship. That's not a healthy relationship. You want to go out of the weekend with the guys for a drink, as she mentioned, and you're not allowed to go. That's not a good relationship. That's coercive control. And you shouldn't be in a relationship like that. That's not a happy relationship. Let me go to Malachi Steenson, who's a family law solicitor. Malachi, I don't know whether you were listening to much of what Katrina was saying before the break from women, uh, from Men's Aid. And uh, she's thanked us already, by the way, and says our helpline is buzzing. So obviously a lot of people are in that situation. But, I mean, that figure, Malachi, that she gave, 30 million euro, is given out to NGOs across the country to deal with domestic violence, and only 1% of it goes to men. Yeah, well, that's not really surprising, because men are the enemy now in society. And everything that that she said is true. Um, She's probably underestimating the problem of anything. There is a huge problem in this country with, with domestic violence against men. And... And again, by the way, by the way I, I, I don't want to just make it about men and women. Uh, there's a huge problem with domestic violence, period. But we are focusing on men, obviously, uh, today because we talked to uh, Katrina and Men's Aid. Yes, and where, where the, the, the programme started off, it was dealing initially, I think, with older men and mm-hmm. older relationships. Yeah. Which, and the, the applications for protection orders and safety orders and barring orders 
have increased from probably zero before COVID to we probably would have had 12, about a dozen of those type cases since um, the COVID lockdown started. So these, these are men in their 60s and 70s? Yeah, well, from 50s up to, to 70s. People who would be, in general, in stable relationships, you would have taught. People who, who had come to an arrangement in their life and, mm-hmm. you know, both of them had, had their own lives. Their kids were reared and gone. In some cases, because of COVID, the kids came back as adults. Yeah. And that created a tension in the house. Perhaps one party didn't want them there as much as the other party. And those kids have tended to side with the mother against the father. And all the wrongs of the father or the perceived wrongs over the years then start coming to light, whether they're manufactured or not. Up to before COVID, you know, say the man go out for his few points or go and play golf or whatever, or, you know, do a bit of sport. All of them things were shut down and you had two people who probably saw each other for a couple of hours in the evening who are now stuck together all day. And that creates a tension. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had one case recently where a man, he was either over 80 or touching 80 and she would have been more or less the same. And again, the kids had come back, or one of the kids had come back, because his relationship had broken down. And he ends up with a safety order against him because he raised his voice one day. You know, he was probably a bit fed up with, with the youngster being back, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, these people had successfully lived together, or perhaps not so successfully, but, you know, had an agreement or an understanding of each other for 40 years. And now all of a sudden there's and a safety order. There's a problem. And some of this comes from, from the lockdown and the, the yeah. non socialization of people. And another part comes from that, you know, the woman will invariably get whatever order she wants. Certainly she'll get a protection order. You know, because that, she goes, you go well, in I'm, I'm assuming men can get a protection order yeah, as well. Yeah, well, you see, and the, the problem with a protection order, particularly in the courts in Dublin, is you could be six, eight, 12 months before you actually get on for a hearing of a safety order. A protection order is given on your evidence. It's not contradicted by anybody because there's nobody so I, there. So I could walk into a court and say, me missus, you know, is giving me a hiding every now and again, or the other way around, should I say, if a woman walks into a court and says, me, me, my husband's giving me a hiding every now and again, and even though the husband may not be doing that, he has to wait his turn to get to court to defend himself, and in the interim, they get a temporary protection well, order. In, in the interim, they have a protection order, and that gives them the right to ring the police, and the police have to come. And remove well, that's not, I mean, that's not a bad thing, is it? Well, it's not a bad thing if he actually is beaten around. Well, that's what I'm but saying. Yes, the of course. The is that you go in and spin a yarn. But you can, yeah. Be, and, and a judge will accept it because he'd be afraid not to. And you're swearing up to tell the truth, you know. And there's one thing that then any, any practitioner who is in the courts regularly will know that the one place that the truth is not told is in the courts. You okay, know, but, but, but Katrina talked about a, the, the situation where you might have, uh, you know, a couple going through a separation or divorce or whatever, or guys who are living in a, an abusive relationship, sorry, are afraid to go through that because they know the outcome will be, I'll be kicked out of the house, even though I've done nothing wrong. She's saying that has to change, this idea that, you know, that the person who perpetrates the crime is essentially rewarded in the court and the other person is booted out. So that has to change because what it's doing is putting men off actually wanting to do something about it. And you see, we need to change, you see, any kind of assault, whether it's a a husband on wife, wife on husband, or any kind of domestic violence assault, should be treated just like any other assault. 
we can't have different categories. And what, and what is the law in, retro, in relation to that? So if your wife, you know, hits you across the head with a frying pan and splits you open, right? You know, if I did that out in the street to a stranger, it's assault and I can go to jail for it. Yeah. But if your wife does it and you take her to court, well, is that not treated the same well, way? Well, you don't take her to court for that. The police have to take her. And invariably, the police don't act and prosecute people, particularly women, for domestic violence. Because by the time the case comes on for hearing, They'll have got back together probably and they won't give evidence. So in other words, so, the, the, so in a, a lot of the time the guards think it's a waste of time. Yeah. Okay, now, so what about the what about the, 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 the example I gave of somebody I knew who went down to the guards, was in a, a an unhealthy relationship, wife had been verbally abusing him, physically abusing him, whatever. Uh, obviously they were going through a separation, this particular couple. He goes down to the guards and the guard says to him, even though he's the victim, said to him, it's probably best you move out of the house. Well, I mean, the guard has no legal authority to say that, and nobody should be taking that advice. Um, but the reality is that a protection order will be used by some people as effectively a barn order because they can co- contact the police, and the police have to remove the so-called perpetrator or the person who has a protection order against them mm-hmm. from the scene. And invariably, you know, there are many people now coming up before the courts, before the criminal courts, charged with breach, breach and protection orders, which may or may, not, or may or may not have been given if all of the evidence was heard. For instance, if you've got a protection order and then you don't get a safety order, the protection order then should be, well, it, well it's gone at that time. Any breaches of that should be gone. And when we talk about domestic violence in general, and obviously as a family law sister, you would be dealing with, direct, uh, with domestic violence on a regular basis. Do you think men are slow to come forward, you know, to complain or to make an application for safety orders or, or, or protection orders when it comes to domestic violence, coercive control or whatever it happens to be? Do you think men are slow to come forward? Is yeah. there still that kind of macho thing? Sure, no one's going to believe me anyway. I'm a bloke. I should be able to believe myself. She's only five foot three. I'm six foot one. No one's going to even believe me. Yeah, well, you see, I, I think in, in most of the cases, it's not physical violence. It's now emotional violence or coercive control. Now, and I, think, I don't think it's a case of that men, you know, are afraid in, in most cases to come forward. I think it's a case of, well, sure, I just had a router, and sure, it'll blow over. So we, we, and this is what Katrina said, men use different language. Yeah, and it gets, and you know, in, in a couple of hours or the next day, you know, it's all done and dusted. But and now, by the way, that can be the case sometimes. That's in some, most cases yeah. it is, yeah. unless one party already wants out and mm. is looking for a way of removing generally the male partner. And this is becoming a, a much bigger issue in, in same-sex relationships, particularly male same-sex relationships. You know, and, and, that's, and there's much more violence involved in that um, and much more coercive control. And, and, you know, and that's starting to make its way through the courts okay. as well. So, so what is the solution when we hear that only 1% of the money has been spent on male domestic violence? I mean, we need obviously, uh, you know, a bigger percentage or a larger percentage because clearly, as Katrina pointed out, you know, there is a large percentage of domestic violence is men. Well, I mean, you know my view on all these NGOs to start with, you know, whether there should be government funding or not, you know, um, for many of the duplication of services is a, a totally different matter. But certainly, you know, if, you have a population which is 50-50 male and female. Well, then, you know, logic would say that 50-50% of the money, you know, should go to each side. Or even if the figure's coming from England, which is one in three, 
yeah. you know, if a third of the money, which would be 10 million, going to, to um, men's um, groupings, you know, would, would progress the matter. But, but this state, remember, and all the NGOs are by and large anti-men and anti-family and anti-society. So, you, you, but not, I wouldn't say all of them. No, you believe a percentage of them. Anyway. And, and you, you know, if, if you look, okay, at I know, I know, you're not a fan of NGOs, Maliki. Some of them do some good work because the government has basically passed the book on for something they're not willing to do themselves. Well, we can debate whether they passed the book on or not. What they've done is they've they've used a mechanism, um, and this goes back to what Thatcher done in Britain to to create jobs for basically left wing lobbyists who are all of the same political mindset, and it's jobs for the boys and and all of the money that goes into many of these NGOs is used to fund the, the, the administration and the board, and very little of it actually goes down to dealing with the problem on the ground. All right, well, look, Maliki, I have to uh, wrap it up there, but listen, thank you very much indeed, Maliki uh, Steenson, Family Law Solicitor. Uh, after the break, by the way, Aaron, I'm going to lighten the mood. Uh, I will, by the way, put, if you want to go to Twitter, we will put the number up for Men's Aid, because a lot of people are texting in looking for the number for Men's Aid, by the way. We'll put up on our Twitter account. <laughs> Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.